you can't have shame and compassion all at the same time. So if you can have that compassionate story sharing with one another, you're kind of winning because from that place, when you understand where not only where you're coming from, but where your sweetie is coming from, now we can reframe it to go forward. So it's not just about financial goal setting. Like having a conversation with your partner is not just about like, how much can we spend on our family vacation this year? Or should we buy a cottage or not? Or should we like sell your vintage car or should we not? It's not about the wealth IQ, it's about the wealth EQ. Hello and welcome back to Loving Money, the place to be if you want to change your relationship to money and consequently change your relationship to life. My name is Lise Wilcox. I'm, I am a strategic life and business coach and I have been for the last 10 years and I have just watched way too many entrepreneurial women who are driven, successful, ambitious, struggle with their relationship to money and I watch how it has kept them playing, playing small and feeling trapped and just really stuck in this one level they can't get out of and that's what brought this podcast to be. Now, I've been doing this for a little while and I want to share a review that I forgot about and, and just found. It just made me so happy and I'm going to share it with you now. It's from Mom Camp Life. The subject is my virtual guru. It says, Lise is my personal virtual guru. Her truth bombs are delivered in the most real and loving way. She cuts right to the heart of it. She has been through it all and come out the other side with positivity and incredible strength. And side note, <laughs> her voice is so calming and grounding. It just makes you feel so good. You'll want to binge listen, but you will need time to digest each amazing episode. Thank you so much for that review. That means so much to me. I have been told that my voice is very calming and soothing to the extent that people, it makes people want to fall asleep. <laughs> I don't know if that's it. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but naturally I'm going to take it as a compliment. <laughs> uh, so here we are. I hope you're having a great day today. I'm really excited to share this podcast episode with you today. I've been working in the back end on my course, Loving Money, that comes out in September. So honestly, by the time you're listening to this show or to this episode in particular, the course is going to be up and running and it's just... I'm so happy with it and I'm so proud of it. The beta testing feed that's come back has been so positive in terms of like value for money, but it also like the nature of the content and the life-changing impact it's having already. One of the comments that I cannot shake is how one of the one of the beta testers said that in just seven days, this course gave her the permission and confidence she needed to openly talk to her partner about money and really, really get clear on how the trauma of her past experiences has shaped where she's at right now. And I, like, I don't have any words for that. That's It's a seven day course. It's like less than 200 bucks if you use the code. Uh, if you go to leesblocox.com and you use the code loving money, which is unique to being a listener of this podcast as my token of appreciation, you can save a few bucks. Uh, but that's seven days. You know, not too long ago, one of the graduates of my first mastermind that I hosted, which was a 10 month commitment, so a little, a little longer than um, a week. But after 10 months with me, 
she communicated that in her almost 20 years of running a business, she had been hiding so much shit financially from her husband. I am not saying or advocating that you need to like involve your partner in your intimate finances or that like, God forbid, you don't need to get permission from your partner to run a business. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm trying to articulate is that clients who have come to work with me, like, as I said, this mastermind client, they feel so much more comfortable and confident in knowing what they know, but knowing what they don't know as well, that it just changes the game for them financially. So again, this mastermind student said after 20 years of running a business, she finally felt comfortable to open up her books to her partner and share what was going on. And so some of what was going on was some debt, some undercharging, some all kinds of all kinds of good stuff that so many of us go through, right? As a natural part of the learning curve of entrepreneurship, but she allowed him into her world, which created a new sense of intimacy and connection. And that's what I want to talk about today is how to talk to your partner about money. This is something that I get asked about a lot because money is so taboo. Again, short of religion and sex, money and politics, I guess, depending on where you live, money is right up there on like one of the top five taboo subjects that is left in our world. So for so many people, it's really difficult to talk to your partner about money. Of course it is. Of course it is because it requires next level vulnerability and trust. Now I got to tell you, if you've been following me on Instagram at Lise Wilcox, or if you've read any of my books, you've been a fan of the podcast for a little while, you know that I spent a great deal of my adult life single. I got divorced in 2015 called Time of Death on My Marriage Then. And with the exception of like two relationships that were each about six weeks long and a host of or a series of misadventures and dating, I was stone cold single for a about seven years. And I really struggled with it. Again, I wrote like two books about it and did podcasts about it and wrote a whole bunch of Instagram content around it and, and really had shaped my coaching for a, a while on specifically building strong, intimate relationships. I really wrestled with being single because partnership was something I desired so much. And, you know, I had lacked a sense of safety, stability, and security in my own childhood. And so as a result, I kind of I think was trying to overcompensate by creating that not only for myself, but for my little girls, my three daughters. And as I said, I really struggled with being single. If you're in that same camp, I really highly recommend you read the last book that I wrote called Alone, The Truth and Beauty of Belonging, because it really will meet you where you're at and kind of hold your hand as you go through that process of kind of dealing with those feelings, but also recognizing the uh, some of the depression that comes with it just like naming this those feelings in a way that you don't have to feel ashamed of or, or guilty for or anything but anyway i was single for a long time and i did not love it and not too long ago i met an incredible man we eloped in 2022 and we bought a house together like the night we were before we left on our family moon. We had a little elopement. We had a family moon ceremony on the beach in Sayulita, Mexico. It was like amazing. And so as we moved into this new house together, new to us, it's a century home that requires a tremendous amount of renovation. <laughs> um, 
as we've been kind of starting over together in this chapter of our lives, I had this whopping reflection the other day that there is something that I miss tremendously about being single. And and I'm going to share it with you. What I miss the most about, <laughs> I can't even, if my past self heard my current self saying this, I don't know what she'd have to say, but what I miss the most about being single is the complete financial autonomy I had to make, frankly, reckless financial decisions. When it was just me kind of being the boss of everyone and everything, like in charge of all input, in charge of all output, I could do whatever I wanted financially. And I, you know, I was still a single mother of three kids. So we're not talking about crazy stuff here, but what we are talking about is a level of agency I had where I wasn't concerned with or worried about the judgment of any other adult in my life. It was just me. And my style is I trust my gut and I trust myself so much that if it feels good for me, like if it feels like the right decision, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it and I'm going to figure out the finances later. Sometimes this strategy has worked and served me unbelievably well. And there have been a few times when it has been a colossal failure. I don't mind sharing that with you. But I was thinking the other day as, you know, we are renovating our house and I'm looking at putting in a pool and painting the exterior and getting a new kitchen and doing a couple of bathroom renovations. Oh, and relocating the laundry room. Like there's so much going on. And my husband is so handy that he's doing a lot of the renovations himself because he's badass and he has all the skills to do that. And I was thinking how we have very different timelines on what it means to get things done. And I was just feeling so frustrated because I was like, man, if I were still single, this house would have been renovated fully by now. And I would have just found a way to finance it. I just, I would have just figured it out. And I was kind of laughing about that because, you know, I have the most, like the most supportive husband on the planet to the extent that, yeah, also in 2022, maybe it was 2021, this is a habit that I've picked up from him where I have to get like really specific about the dates of things, even though literally nobody cares. Anyway, in the not too distant past, I made a, a significantly terrible investment. And, you know, as a coach, I'm pretty passionate about investing in yourself and I, I like to walk my own talk. So I heavily invest in myself and I credit investing in myself for like 99% of my success because I'm not shy to spend money to make money. And I'm pretty good at it. Both things. <laughs> Anyway, I, I made an investment in the highest ticket coach I had ever yet to invest in, and I really fucked it up. I did all my due diligence. I talked to former clients. It felt like this was such a good fit. I felt like I had researched this person enough and had enough of a connection that it kind of all checked out across the board. The, yes, there were a couple of little red flags, but I was like... They probably don't matter <laughs> and, and even my my deepest intuition was not pinging anything that there was anything wrong it was really like oh maybe he just missed this detail or like he forgot to publish this website or he forgot to follow through on this one thing but everything else felt so good and again i knew a few people that he'd worked with in the past and this felt like a really good fit it turned out that i was just 
powerfully, immeasurably wrong. And I had joined a mastermind program with him. And by month four, I tried to quit, got gaslit into staying. And by month five and a half, I became just unshakably knowing that it was a scam and that what he said he was going to offer was not going to materialize. And so I found the courage to just quit and walk away. And I, I said courage because I walked away from like short of the deposit on my home, the single largest investment I'd ever made. And I walked away from it because of course there's a no refund policy. Ouch. My husband, like, oh God, there was so much shame and so much guilt. I felt like such an idiot. Oh my God. You know, here I am saying, I, like, I trust my intuition. I trust myself to make all the right decisions. And I had made this colossal error in judgment. And it, it just, it cost so much. It cost so much money. It cost so much time. It cost so much mental energy and emotional investment, not only during the program, but also after the program to come to grips with the fact that after all of these years of learning, I still managed to make a huge mistake, which is a big trigger and activation for me. Anyway, so had I been on my own and I made that mistake, I would have processed that in silence. I would have done my own thing and worked through it on my own, probably would have punched a few pillows and screamed a lot in my car. But because I'm now this married woman, naturally I, I did all those things and I was able to talk to my husband about it. He's a great guy. And I was really nervous because I felt like such a moron. And I was, I, I brought this to his attention and like, he knew I'd made the investment. Of course, he knew I was in this mastermind. He knew that it was not going well. It was not meeting expectations. And when I pulled the plug, he was a part of that decision-making process. And, and after the fact, I was talking to him and I was so transparent that like I spent all of this money that Lord could have been used to do things like put in a pool or renovate a kitchen or relocate the laundry room or paint the outside of the house. And I just really fucked up. I felt so bad. And this gem of a human was like, you know what? This is life. Sometimes we make a bad investment. Sometimes we make a good investment, but when we make a, a bad investment, we have to just learn from it and move on. He was like, you know, you, I watched you, you did everything you could. And he was like, I watched you process. I watched you like look for red flags and, and see how they made sense or didn't make sense. And he said, and I watched you make this really courageous decision to walk away and not waste any more of your time. Even when there were several other people in the group that couldn't quite see the truth that was unfolding before their eyes. So he's like really supportive. <laughs> you know, there was no judgment. There was no emotional punishment. There was no, there was no shame. There was literally just tenderness and support and unshakable love. Really, really great partner. In our marriage, in our partnership, we are pretty comfortable with that level of vulnerability with each other. We trust each other. We're really good friends. And so we have a pretty decent communication system. Like, I mean, we're human, we're adults, we get tired, we get stressed out and overwhelmed. We both work for ourselves, so that's common. We don't get it right all the time. You know, like we have our disagreements, of course. 
And we have such a secure partnership because it's built on a foundation of love, trust, understanding, and compassion. And even still, it was difficult to share the extent to which I felt like I'd really fucked up for our family financially. And even still, like I just become so profoundly aware of the intimacy that is present in our relationship and in our, in our communication. It still took a lot of chutzpah to like really share the details of, hey, babe, remember that time I spent all this money on something that totally didn't work out? My point is, because money is such a taboo subject, in order to feel safe enough to talk to your partner about money, there has to be a great foundation of trust, vulnerability, and an an, uh, um, approximation of unconditional love. Those are three rare qualities in a relationship. And sorry, not sorry. When the divorce rate is 50% of first marriages and the divorce rate of second and third marriages is about 60 and 70 respectively, it's completely ignorant for us to talk about relationships as if they're all created equal and as if they're all built on a foundation of mutual trust and understanding. They're not like, come at me, bro. They're just not. If you look at the other stats that show us that the two major causes of divorce are rooted in sex stuff or money stuff, now we can really sit up and pay attention as to how damn important it is for us to be able to communicate money stuff with our partner and for us to really talk to our partner about money. And so when so many people ask me, like, how do you do it? It's, you know, it is this simple. It is this complicated. You need to have an open dialogue that is built on a foundation of trust and vulnerability. Now that's going to be easy for some people and it's going to be really difficult for others, depending on your personality, their personality, and of course the the dynamics of your partnership or of your marriage. Something that can get you started is, you know, working within my favorite paradigm, name, de-shame, and reframe. If you can first this is so important, especially with anything that's so taboo. And I use it all the time in everything related to money, like everything in my personal life, but especially everything in my professional practice, whether it's in the course or working with me privately in a mastermind, whatever, we want to be able to name, de-shame and reframe. If we don't take the time to name something, all we're going to do is pile more guilt and shame and terrible feelings on top of what we're already feeling. And then we just repress it and repress it and repress it. If we have the audacity to shine a little sunshine on there, we know that sunlight is the best antiseptic. So if we can bring it to the surface and truly name it, like just identify what it is that's causing this feeling, only then are we able to de-shame it and strip away all of those feelings and layers of shame, guilt, and self-judgment. From that place, then we're able to actually reframe it and have a look at, you know, what am I making this mean about me? Or is it as bad as I thought? And even if it is as bad as I thought, how do I move forward from here? Like, how do I change the narrative that I've become attached to and change it going forward so that it feels a little more purposeful or forward moving in my life? 
So if we use that model of name, de shame, reframe in talking to your partner about marriage, let's break it down. What would it look like for you to first name the money stuff that's coming up for you? You know, are you hiding debt? Are you afraid of debt? Do you use overspending as a coping mechanism? Are you in the other camp where you can never save enough? Like you never feel safe and secure enough, no matter what that number is on your tax return, no matter what that number is in your bank account, because there's like a sense of scarcity and instability that causes you to just be in fear mode all the time because you're just terrified of, you know, the house of cards falling apart and not having any money at the end of the end of the day. It always kind of cracks me up when people are like, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, executives, C-suite, and even though people can have like a mostly stable, secure financial life, but you know, they have one bad month and they're like, that's it. I'm going to be homeless. Like we immediately, we go from the best case scenario right down to the worst case scenario. And we skip all the steps in between, but nonetheless, what does it look like? for you to name your existing money story, your existing relationship to money. What would it look like for your partner to do the same thing? Is your partner self-reflective enough? Are you self-reflective enough to have that honest conversation with yourself and really get a sense of what your money story is? What did you learn from your mom? What did you learn from your dad? What did you learn from your ancestors, grandparents, favorite aunts and uncles? What did you learn from the people around you consciously or unconsciously about money that has shaped and affected how you feel about money? From there, how do we compare those money stories? How do we sit together as a couple and say like, yeah, I had all kinds of abandonment issues as a kid. And so now in order for, to, in order for me to make myself feel powerful, I have to spend money so that I feel like I have a sense of power and control over my life. What does it look like to say to your partner, I grew up in chaos. I had alcoholic parents. There was never a sense of safety or security. And so as a result, I feel like I have to hoard money because I've always been the one who's had to take care of other people. And it feels like I can never have enough because I never want to go back to that sense of chaos. So I overcompensate by making sure I have almost too much around me. Imagine how freeing it would feel to be able to have that level of vulnerable, intimate conversation, not only with yourself, but then with your partner and be able to look at their story with compassion and have them be able to compassionately look at yours with this sense of shared understanding from where the other person or an understanding of where the other person is coming from. Again, this is next level intimacy and connection. This is like, for a lot of people, this is going to be reframing the relationship that they thought they had or that they do have because it invites us to go deeper in a different exploration of self and do that at the same time, all just because we're talking about money. So if you're able to have that conversation with yourself and then share it with your partner and have this like loving, compassionate understanding that alone will start to strip away some of the shame and judgment that we heap and pile on ourselves, right? We're, whenever we're able to foster and channel that level of compassionate grace, we're immediately clearing out the cobwebs of shame because there's just no room for it. You can't have shame and compassion all at the same time. 
So if you can have that compassionate story sharing with one another, you're kind of winning because from that place, when you understand where not only where you're coming from, but where your sweetie is coming from, now we can reframe it to go forward. So it's not just about financial goal setting. Like having a conversation with your partner is not just about like, how much can we spend on our family vacation this year? Or should we buy a cottage or not? Or should we like sell your vintage car or should we not? It's not about the wealth IQ, it's about the wealth EQ. What are your feelings and emotions that come up around money? So when you're able to get really clear on what those feelings are, what those emotions are about money, from there, we can start to financially plan in a different way. So man, I would love to own a cottage, but maybe getting a pool is the right thing because maybe we don't want to take care of a second property. Maybe we don't have the time or the energy to go up and maintain it or even to rent it out because even renting stuff out is a phenomenal amount of work. Maybe we're taking care of aging parents. Maybe we're taking care of little kids. Maybe we're in the thick of raising businesses and family or one or another and either one or it on its own is a lot. So combining the two of them is like ultra. What would a financial vision not look like for our partnership, but what would it feel like? You know, in, in my marriage, we talk a lot about, (laughs) we talk a lot about moving to Sayulita and what would it feel like to live in Mexico for three months, six months? Is it just two months? Like, do we want to go just for two weeks? Like, what does it feel like for each of us to quit work by the time we're 50 or 55 or 60. First, we have to look at what it feels like, and then we can talk about what it looks like realistically. Like, how do we make those dreams a reality? So when you have this clear understanding of what your money story is and what your partner's money story is, and you add that compassionate lens, now we can talk about what your shared financial future feels like what would feel amazing for you and when you know very concretely what it would feel like now we can start to put the numbers into play to see how we make that our reality you know if we want to retire by this age and live in this part of the world what's that actually going to cost that's pretty easy to figure out it's taking the leap to have the emotional the vulnerable the very feeling centered conversation and and as i said at the at the top of the episode that requires a great deal of vulnerability trust communication and love so if you're someone who's been struggling with how to talk to your partner about money i wouldn't launch right into having you know the money talk what i would recommend is sitting together and you know working together to build up that sense of safety, vulnerability, and trust. And in that place, which by the way, can be cultivated really easily. If you do something kind of wild together, it could just be like our brain thrives on dopamine and we get a lot of dopamine when we have new adventures. So if you're somebody who's kind of stuck in a rut and it might be you know, this is kind of a trite example, but it might be that we just go to the same restaurant over and over and over again, go to a new restaurant, like go do something new together, go and have a new experience. If you're kind of homebodies pointing at myself here, go for a hike, go on some kind of adventure walk. I don't know. Can you get on somebody's boat and go really fast? Like what can you do together 
that allows you to be in a new situation, in a new experience that floods your brain with that dopamine, but also allows you to bond and allows you to get back into that place in which you really trust one another to, to do something courageous. If you work on that aspect of your relationship and you build up the vulnerability and trust, then you're far more ready to have the money conversation. If you were somebody who's already got that that vulnerability and that sense of trust, you feel safe enough to talk to one another about anything. Oh, like fabuloso. Now all you have to do is sit down and be like, hey, listen, I was listening to this podcast. I was thinking a lot about my money story and I really want to share with you, here is some of the context around how I relate to money and invite your partner to do the same. It's so sexy. Like now we're in this shared currency of a new kind of intimacy talking about money that allows us to be on the same page of something that typically is very stressful in our lives. And now we're circumventing all kinds of issues because we're talking about it and we're relating and we're visualizing and visioning and dreaming together. And honestly, there's nothing hotter than that. So how do you talk to your partner about money? Start with start with safety. Start with safety, trust, vulnerability, and communication. Maybe invite your partner to listen to this episode. If that feels like a reach, get your partner um, turned on to the show, tuning into the show, and then you have something to talk about as you're driving somewhere together even, right? That was kind of a weird example, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> Invite your partner into this conversation is all I'm sharing. Like I can help you from afar. If you or your partner is liking what you're hearing, please, I really strongly, strongly encourage you to follow the show, subscribe. You can rate it. You can leave me a review. As you know, I like to read reviews at the beginning of the show. Tell a friend. You know, these are the conversations we have to have, but sometimes we feel like we can't, we're not allowed to have them. You're allowed to have them. It just takes giving yourself that permission of like, no, I'm really interested in this. I'm going to share this conversation. So please, please go ahead and tell a friend about Loving Money, the podcast with Lise Wilcox. You can follow along on Instagram at Lise Wilcox. If you head to my website, leesewilcox.com, this is the great thing about having kind of an unusual name. You get to brand the hell out of everything. If you go to my website, leesewilcox.com, you will find my free video training on how to charge what you're worth. It's something that I've used not only to build my own multiple six-figure business, but countless other clients build theirs. Just a really, really simple video training on how to actually charge what you're worth. And of course, the um, course is there too. So Loving Money, Seven Days to Radically Transform Your Self-Sabotaging Beliefs into Long-Lasting Success. That's there for you too. Lastly, it is not lost on me that you've taken 31 minutes of your valuable time and shared it here with me. So thank you. Like my profound thank you for investing in yourself, investing in me, sharing this time together, and really taking the bold, courageous step to change your relationship to money so that you can change your relationship to life. I'll see you next time.